Over the past uh, several weeks, we've been looking at stories of, um, uh, or accounts that have happened in Jericho or near Jericho. Uh, we actually started um, in that by looking at the blind man, Bartimaeus, who was uh, healed between the two Jerichos. And we're actually kind of faced that again today, that there are actually two Jerichos. We'll talk about that briefly again. Uh, but remember, we probably most famously know of Jericho. That's the place where the walls came a-tumbling down with Joshua. We talked about that, and we talked about the deliverance of Rahab and her family. What a tremendous measure of grace and mercy it was upon her family by God. We looked also at Elisha and the healing of the waters that happened at Elisha Spring, that you can go there even today to Jericho and see the place where, where that probably occurred. Uh, we've also looked at the temptation in the wilderness that happened in the wilderness right outside of Jericho. Uh, traditionally speaking, there's actually a monastery of the temptation in the wilderness, the amount of temptation that's just, if you're looking at uh, Tel Jericho today, you just look up the hills and that's where the monastery is. And so tradition believes that's where that happened. And then uh, last week we talked about the, or two weeks ago, I forget last week was Father's Day, we talked about uh, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which the story occurred on the road to Jericho. And so it's interesting seeing the stories of the Bible that happen in certain locations. Uh, I think it's just amazing to see how the Bible just weaves together in a beautiful, beautiful illustration. So I would like us to turn this morning and we're going to look at one final spot in Jericho. And it's one that we are probably also very familiar with as we look at this text. And that's the story of Zacchaeus. So I invite you to turn with me to Luke 19. And we're going to read the first 10 verses. And if you're able to, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 19, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. The word of God says, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree all right to see him and he was to pass that way and when jesus came to the place he looked up and saw him and said unto him zacchaeus make haste and come down for today i must abide at thy house and he made haste and came down and received him joyfully and when they saw it they all murmured saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner zacchaeus stood and said unto the lord Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, forasmuch as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Today we're going to be looking at what happens when Jesus passes by. As we look at this passage here in Luke 19, I'm sure... Uh, for many of you, you probably had that Sunday school song going through your head, and you can sing it with me if you want. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. For I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Some of you were doing the actions. I saw that. Okay, <laughs> that's okay. That's a that's a good song. And I think, like I said, these are familiar songs that help us reinforce that truth. Um, I remember growing up, I had a friend of mine. He had I don't know he had a quirky sense of humor. His name is Craig. And uh, whenever he got to the part where he said Zacchaeus, you come down, and he always said, 
because you'll fall down, all right? So anyways, there's some wisdom to that. But anyways, this song here is a favorite of mine, and I'm sure hopefully we'll sing that here with our kids too. And it brings again the precious truth of this passage here to life. Zacchaeus, yes, he was a wee little man, but I think in the end we're going to see how he became a spiritual giant uh, in the sight of the Lord. And because of all what the Savior did, and that's when he passes by. And the, the simple challenge of today's message is this. When Jesus passes by, a life is changed forever. When Jesus passes by, a life is changed forever. And I want you to think through today as we look through this passage, even your own testimony, uh, how you came to know the Lord and when Jesus passed by and how your life was changed forever. This is really a testimony of a man who was, to be honest with you, when you look at Zacchaeus, he's probably the last person you'd ever expect to become a follower of Jesus. But you see the difference that it made in his life. So we're going to look at a few things today as we look at this passage. We're going to look at, first of all, sinner's dilemma. Uh, as Zacchaeus truly was a sinner and what his dilemma was. We're going to see a Savior's response, how Jesus responded to him. And we're going to see how a sinner is saved. He's talking about Zacchaeus' life change. And then we're going to kind of end this, the message today on a, on a comparison of looking at the crowd that was around Zacchaeus and Jesus, and then Zacchaeus himself, and really kind of a, a lesson for us this day. So as we look at this, we're presented with this fact here in verse 1, and Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. We, we mentioned some weeks ago as we're talking about Jericho that there are two Jerichos. There, are, there is a Jericho, that the Old Testament Jericho, the same one where Joshua conquered. And remember that Joshua put a curse on that city that no one should build it because it will basically affect his firstborn and his youngest. And that exactly happened about 400 years later during the reign of King Ahab, when uh, there was another man who decided to do that, and again, his, his family perished. But there was an Old Testament Jericho that did emerge out of the ruins of the, that ancient Jericho, and that was a little Jewish village that was there just outside of, the, uh, of that city, of the old city of Jericho, we think of Joshua. But then comes later on, what we call the intertestamental period, the 400 silent years. You maybe have heard about the Maccabees. For example, those are the freedom fighters who fought against the Tychus Epiphanes. And then you have, after that, uh, the, um, the Hasmoneans, who were kind of the royal class that were doing that. And that leads us into uh, the ruler that we know at the time of Jesus named Herod the Great. Herod the Great was, uh, he was half Jewish, half Edomite, Edomian. But nonetheless, Herod was... Uh, noted for his amazing architecture, but he was probably better known for his cruelty that he had around him. But nonetheless, uh, Herod the Great had built what we refer to as the New Jericho, or New Testament Jericho. And we talked a, a couple weeks ago, actually, about blind Bartimaeus, who sat on that road, Jesus coming in and going out of that Jericho. We have that same thing happening here. Jesus entered and then passed through Jericho. What's he talking about? He's going again from Old Jericho to New Testament Jericho, and again, there was a throng that was going on. So again, the difference between these is almost a mile between Old Testament and New Testament Jericho, and again, Jericho is the lowest city on earth. It's also the oldest city on earth that's continually inhabited, and you'll find that today. So if you ever get the chance to go to Israel, you get to see that firsthand. You're just a little bit north of the Dead Sea, and then from uh, as the crow flies, you're about 17 miles from Jerusalem, 
Remember the difference in elevation. Okay, I got to throw this out there just for some Bible geography. That uh, Jericho, again, is the lowest city on earth, about 850 feet below sea level. Jer- excuse me, Jerusalem, like I said, only 17 miles away, is t- uh, 2,500 feet above sea level. That's a huge drop, almost 3,000 feet difference in elevation. So it's something important that we need to look at. But Jericho is also important, is an important city. Was, this was kind of like the uh, Palm Beach of Israel, if you will. It was known as the city of palm trees back in the Old Testament. Book of Judges mentions that. Uh, so it's known as that. It was a very fertile area with date palms. Um, actually, the, the Judean date, the Judean date palms were so widely prized uh, as a fruit that they were actually imported to Rome. They were that prized, okay? Uh, when you think of John the Baptist eating locust and wild honey, the wild honey could be referring to bee honey, but more than likely, culturally speaking, it's referring to the date honey, the dates uh, that came from these palm trees. And so that's how he's nourished in the wilderness. Makes sense. He was just down the stream, literally, okay, from Jericho and the Jordan River. All right, so with all that said, uh, this was a prized area. Also, it was known for balsam, balsam wood and, and ointments and all that. And it was a big trade area as well. So a lot of people coming and going. And so another thing that is important to know that Jericho was one of the cities of the priests during the New Testament times, during the time of the Second Temple, that Jericho was a city where priests uh, uh, lived, a large number anyways. And so when it came time to do their service at the temple, they would go on a rotation basis uh, maybe once or twice a year, they would have a period of time where they would go to do that. And they, a lot, so a lot of priests lived in Jericho. That, by the way, when we talk about the peril of the Good Samaritan, when you had that man that was beat up, remember, who were the first two people that crossed his path? A priest and a Levite going to Jericho, okay? So that's where they lived. That's why there was some traffic there. So it makes sense. So I want us to think about that in the back of your mind, that this is a city where there's a lot of priests, but also, because of the commerce there, there's also another group of people. Now it was publicans, tax collectors. Therefore enters in Zacchaeus. It says here in verse 2, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. Very important as we see here. You know, what's kind of interesting is this. The word Zacchaeus, the name Zacchaeus, is a Hebrew word and actually means, uh, means pure or righteous. And you're probably scratching your head. Of all the names to give a child, Zacchaeus, you're pure and righteous, but you're a mean old tax collector at the same time. This is an oxymoron, okay, as you think about that. All right, so as you think about that, Zacchaeus, his name means righteous or pure, but his actions were anything but. Why? Because as a publican, as a tax collector, you think the IRS are bad, you actually have nothing to complain about. All right? What happened back to this system is this, that the Romans, remember they were in charge, and so on your major roadways, such as in Jericho, there would have been tax collectors, booths, for example, that would have been there, and they would collect passage from different people. So the Romans, they they would tell the tax collectors, and usually they would use the subjects uh, who lived in that area. For example, here you have some Jewish people that worked under the Romans to collect taxes. The Romans said, we need this much money, per person as they travel your roads or for different fares. But, you know, for the tax collectors to make a little bit of money, they wouldn't mind uh, patting their wallet or their bag, their purse, so to speak. And so they would usually charge well above the actual tax rate. It just maybe depended on the day, depending on the need. 
But you can see here that uh, some people, to make an honest living, might charge a little bit. But Zacchaeus took ex uh, uh, to the new level. You could say he was an extortionist to the nth degree. How do we know that? Because it says here, number one, he's the chief among the publicans, meaning he was actually over others as well. So he got a commission off of their commission. On top of that, it says, and he was rich. Okay? He was rich. In other words, he lived a lavish life. So he had everything he needed, but he got it really from ill gain. He really was a thief. He was a swindler. He was extortioner uh, from the people that passed by. So on one group, you have priests, the holy people, the one who served the Lord in the temple. And on the other side, you got the people who you didn't want to have anything to do with. That was publicans. All right? Like I said, your IRS agent, nothing to be compared to Zacchaeus and the people like him. All right? One interesting thing to note, too, as we go on, who was a disciple that Jesus said to follow me who was a tax collector? Matthew Levi, who was in Capernaum. Another side of, the, of the, the area, okay? So as we think about this, another thing we could say that as Zacchaeus was rich, you can see he was the Ebenezer Scrooge of the day. Remember old Ebenezer Scrooge from Dickens? All right, Christmas time. You remember the Christmas Carol? Do you remember how miserly he was? Remember he had that uh, man working for him, Bob Cratchit, who had a little son named Tiny Tim. Remember that story? Okay. Uh, you can go home and read it later. All right, so... <laughs> As you think, Zacchaeus was that Ebenezer Scrooge, that miser, who uh, basically laid hold on every uh, coin that he could get his hands on and tried to, basically, he just controlled his life. Maybe Zacchaeus was kind of that attitude as well. This kind of reminds us, too, of another story that we have actually just leading up to Luke 19. Look with me back one chapter, Luke 18. In Luke 18, there was a rich young ruler who came to Jesus and he says in verse 18 that, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He goes through the commandments. And then Jesus says here, he went away sorrowful. Verse 23, the man went away sorrowful. Actually, let me go up. So he says he kept all these commandments. In verse 21, the man says, I have kept all these for my youth, all the commandments. Verse 22 says, Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet thou lackest one thing. Sell all that thou hast and distribute to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. So he, he kind of was really exposing his own heart. He was very rich. He says in verse 23, when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And look what Jesus had to say about this. Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful and said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter in the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Wow. I tell you what, as you go through the, I love how Luke, the, 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 uh, Luke is writing this. And you're leading through this, and all of a sudden, in a few verses over, now you're dealing with a legitimate rich man. How can he enter into heaven? He can't even go through the eye of a needle. And you're talking about Zacchaeus. He is the perfect picture of that rich man there. And you're going to see a difference in there. But here's the, the point of this passage, I believe, is this, that by laying hold onto the riches and the material goods of this world, I believe we are tempted to believe that we cannot live without them. Jesus tells us that the sacrifices that we make, though, will not grow unwarded, unrewarded. Look with me back in Luke 18. And then verse 26, this is his disciples answering him. And they that heard it said, How, who then can be saved? And, and Jesus said, All, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, lo, we have left all and followed thee. We have given up everything, God. 
We've given up everything. Jesus, and Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come life everlasting. In other words, here's the point. We are tempted to hold on to the riches. I don't care if you make $10,000 a year or $10 million a year. I think each of us are tempted to hold on tightly to those possessions because that we believe that we can't live without it. And Jesus is kind of flipping that on its head. And he says this, that really, to, we, that the sacrifices that we make for the kingdom of God will not go unrewarded. We are to give up riches for the sake of the kingdom. Now, it doesn't mean that to be rich is wrong necessarily, but it's our attitude, it's our heart that is attached with it. That's the issue. And that was the issue with the rich young ruler. Now you have another man, Zacchaeus, filthy rich, who got it from ill gain. And he can't live without it, but I think he understood something. The difference between Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler was the heart. And we're going to see how that happens. But here's the thing. As we think about this, when Jesus passes by, a life is changed forever. Look with me now in verse 3. Okay, so we know Zacchaeus, he's a Republican or a Democrat. I don't know what he is. Anyways, it says in verse 3, some of you will get that. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press because he was little of stature. So Zacchaeus, for whatever is going on, maybe he heard about the healing of the blind man, of Bartimaeus. Uh, maybe he had heard maybe from people who were traveling by about Jesus. No matter what, he sought to see Jesus who he was. Now, it's interesting that Romans says that there is none that seeketh after God. We also know compare Scripture, but is that the Holy Spirit that draws one to himself. I think that throughout these stories and hearing about Jesus, he's drawn to them by the Spirit. But he was little of, he was little of stature. He was small. He was a short guy. Okay, And so what does he do? He says here in verse 4, He ran before and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. So, in other words, he couldn't get around Jesus because of his stature. He couldn't see Jesus. Rather, he ran and climbed. I, I like the verbs. There's a lot of action verbs that are in this passage. As you look at this, I want you to look very carefully at verse 4. What did he do? He ran and he climbed. i got to be honest with you. Back in those time periods, it was not proper for... Uh, men to go running. You don't go running, all right? And you don't climb trees. It was unbecoming of a gentleman to do such things, all right? And especially if you were really rich, you definitely don't see... I mean, when was the last time you saw Bill Gates climbing a tree in the park? (laughs) Case in point, okay? (laughs) Um, So anyways, as you think about that's kind of the same idea that we have here. He ran and he climbed. This was uh, not customary, and so what was he acting like? He was acting like a, a kid, a child. This tells you a little bit more about the heart, or maybe he just didn't care. I don't know. But nonetheless, it's interesting when you look back at Matthew 18, we're kind of going back and forth. What are the type of people who come into the kingdom of God? Little children. Luke 18 Verses, uh, verse 16, Jesus said to them, Suffer the little children, or allow the little children to come unto me, forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. There, verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as, of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. That does not mean that you have to be a child in order to be saved, but rather to have the heart of a child. Basically, to be humble is the idea as you come to the Lord. That was Zacchaeus. So we're seeing a little bit of his, his heart. 
And again, the point is this. When Jesus passes by, a life has changed forever. But that's the sinner's dilemma. Zacchaeus was lost. He could not save himself. He couldn't even get close to Jesus because of his physical limitations. But it's interesting. We're going to see how did Jesus respond to this man. Verse 5 says, And when Jesus came to the place where the tree was, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I must abide at thy house. So here is Zacchaeus in a tree up a little bit. By the way, the sycamore trees are different than the sycamores in America. Okay, This was actually, the sycamore was a, uh, a type of a fig tree. Okay, uh, in Another word that sometimes used is a mulberry tree. It did have fruit on it that was similar to a fig. In the book of Amos, Amos the prophet said that I was not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. Rather, I was a, I was a picker of sycamore fruit. Picker of, of, of these figs, if you will. And these were kind of poor man's figs is what they were. And, uh, but nonetheless, this is the type of tree that he was on. One thing that's also interesting, reading up on cultural aspects of a sycamore tree, and I think it at least sheds a little bit of light on the passage here, is this, that a sycamore tree was not exactly native to Jericho and to that area near the Dead Sea area. Like I said, it was known as the city of the palm trees. Rather, sycamores were actually more in what is called the Shephela Valley. The Shephela Valley is near the coast, from the Judean hills to the coastal plain towards the Mediterranean. Okay? So if you, if you look in your maps in the back of your Bible, if you look at that plain that's the Shephela Valley that's going from the Judean Hills towards the Mediterranean Sea. That's the area that we're talking about. That's where they grow and that's where they thrive in. So it is believed, it can't prove it 100% because we weren't there, but that sycamores were brought in, some even believe by Herod the Great. We don't know for sure. But nonetheless, these, these were in a sense kind of like an out-of-place tree to be in Jericho. I think you could say that's kind of what Zacchaeus was like. He was kind of an out-of-place guy compared to the rest of the people that were with him. Anyways, no matter what, Jesus comes to that place and he looks. He looks up and he sees Zacchaeus. And of course, he calls him down. It's important to know that Jesus not only saw Zacchaeus in a sycamore tree, but more importantly, he saw the heart of Zacchaeus. He didn't just say, hey, I see you up there. No, he saw the heart of it. Why? Because he calls him down. So it's interesting also, that when Jesus stops in the, in the midst of these thronging people, remember, there's a lot of people here. He, remember, Zacchaeus couldn't even come because the, the press, the, the idea that was there. And so what does he do? He stops at the tree and he calls Zacchaeus by name. Out of all the people, the hundreds of people that were probably around him, he calls out Zacchaeus by name. I think we should not overlook that. He called them by name. This kind of reminds us of what John said in his gospel, John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You see here, we see Jesus here acting as a good shepherd. He's there. Pretty amazing as you think about that. He's acting as a good shepherd. He calls Zacchaeus by name. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. He said, make haste, come down, for today I must abide at thy house. You know, Jesus, as he makes this uh, kind of a demand, really, I must abide at thy house, as he makes this, Jesus could have gone to any home in Jericho, maybe some of the high important priests, for example. He could have gone to many places in Jericho and received probably a very good welcome. But yet Jesus chose to abide, and actually the idea is that he abide overnight at a despised tax collector's house. 
Wow. Jesus here, a friend of sinners. Also, another thing to point out here, it says here that Jesus said, I must abide at thy house. You know, there's actually several I must. If you want to do a little Bible study, look at the I must that Jesus said. Uh, like, I, uh, I must be about my father's business, for example. Luke chapter 2. And there's several out there, but here's another of the I must of Jesus. When Jesus said, I must, it denotes really the divine mission or the divine purpose that Jesus had to visit Zacchaeus. He, did, he does this intentionally. He didn't just say, hey, I'm, come here, I, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to eat at your house tonight. You know, have you ever had someone who would try to impose themselves over at your place and you're like, I don't know, I don't, I'm not ready. The house ain't clean yet. I don't know what Zacchaeus was going through his mind, but how did he respond? He made haste. He came down and received him joyfully. We see this here. This is an important thing. Why did Jesus react this way to Zacchaeus? How did he respond this way? Because I believe this. As he did with Zacchaeus, Jesus knows the need of your heart. He knows your past, and he knows your future. He, know, he knew as God, very God, man, very man, he knew what was in the heart of Zacchaeus. He knew the type of man that he was. He didn't have other, even though they told him, he didn't have to have other people tell him the, the, the uh, reputation that he had. But Jesus knew his heart. He knows our heart. He knows your past, but he also knows your future. The same thing with Zacchaeus. He knew the future of this man, Zacchaeus. The thing is, is when Jesus sees us, he sees a person who can be changed for his glory. He sees a person that can be changed for his glory. We see the, again, the response of Zacchaeus. He made haste. He hurried up, came down, and received him joyfully. He probably almost jumped out of that tree. Again, that's that childlike faith, okay? Uh, I think if I climbed a tree, it might take me a while to get me back down, okay? <laughs> but for my kids, they're going to jump in and out. That's how they are. Zacchaeus was much like that. He responded quickly and joyfully. In other words, he was ready. I think God had prepared his heart. Maybe the, the burden of sin that he was dealing with, the, 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 the torment that maybe the people that he was defrauding, things like that, were on his mind. We're going to see that in a moment, actually. But he responded quickly because he was ready. So now let's look at the miraculous end of this. A sinner is saved. How did that happen? Verse 7 says this, And when they, the, the people, saw it, they murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. Wow. We know this, though, when Jesus makes this action, I must abide at thy house. I'm going to literally stay overnight with you, is the idea. Jesus here is a friend of sinners. And he came to call all sinners to repentance. This is the purpose. This is the mission uh, of Jesus. This is why the I must, if you want to highlight, underline, somehow note it, the I must of Jesus, he's purposefully Inter, uh, interacting with Zacchaeus. Why? Because he sees the change that's about to happen to this man. In this, we see, as we sang earlier, we have a wonderful, merciful Savior. Precious Redeemer and friend. Praise God for that promise. I think one thing, too, is that, okay, yes, Jesus is coming to my house. I'm sure Zacchaeus was happy, but don't you think there was probably a gut check? It's like, who am I that he should come to my house? I'm despised. I'm one of the outcasts of Jericho. I'm a tax collector. The Jewish people would avoid it. They walk the other way, other side of the street, just to get around the... I mean, let me go back to our level. If you saw an IRS agent coming, wouldn't you probably go to the other side of the street? <laughs> you know, just even if you're in good standing, it's probably in your mind, okay? Even more so with, with Zacchaeus, all right? By the way, I want to say, I have a very good friend who I actually used to work with who was an IRS, IRS agent, and he's a great guy, okay? So... 
Not putting them all down. All right. So anyways, with that in mind here, I think this is important. What happens is this. As Zacchaeus is now, he's bringing Jesus to his home. In verse 8, it says this. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And he basically makes this offer of restitution. But I think here's a big issue here. The presence of Jesus, I believe, brought conviction to Zacchaeus. When we are confronted with the holy God, and we understand who he really is in our real state, the real condition that we are, I think it really helps, it really brings conviction to us. I think a lot of times we hear about Jesus, or we think about Jesus as he's our best friend, he's loving, and that's all true. But when we really think, too, about the holiness of Jesus... You know, our hearts break for what's going on in our country right now. There's division all that. And some people are claiming Jesus to be on their side or that side. But when we think about this, are we really on Jesus' side is what really matters. You can be right, but if we don't have the love of Jesus and compassion of Jesus as we share truth with others, I, I think sometimes that message of who Jesus really is gets blurred. We should be very thankful and be grateful for who Jesus is. But the presence of Jesus should bring conviction to our souls of who Jesus really is. And that's exactly what happened to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus knew he was a bad guy. He knew he needed to save. Remember, Jesus did not call, come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. As you see this, we also see that they shared a meal together. Abide at the house, stay overnight, have a meal together. Sharing a meal here was a sign of acceptance. This is something a Pharisee would never do with a publican. You would never have that. That would say, oh, we accept him, all right? But Jesus did that. Why? Intentionally just to basically save, to save him. We see here in Zacchaeus' uh, his repentance that he says here in verse 8, again, half of my goods I get to the poor. If I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Uh, the idea that we have here in, in the middle of that verse 8, if I have taken anything, it's not so much if I did or didn't, is to what extent I took advantage of someone. I might have taken advantage of them a little bit. I might have taken advantage of them a lot. No matter what, I am going to restore them fourfold. That was big. Here's the idea. Zacchaeus' confession came from a repentant heart. You see that, uh, here, here's something I want us to see here. Another word that's here, another action word, it says in the beginning of verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said. So you've got to remember, they're sitting down at the table, or laying down, actually, they would have been reclining is how they would have done it back then. Zacchaeus gets up, he stands up, and again, he's a wee little man, I don't know how tall he stood, but nonetheless, he was above everyone by this point. He stood to make a statement. This is something very important. It was a sign, I believe, of determination. I believe this that he was giving a testimony of the grace that he had received from Jesus. He's giving a testimony. He's standing up to give a testimony of the grace that he has received from Jesus. And the outflow of that was his offer of restitution that he has. His promise to pay back was really a demonstration of righteousness. It's interesting. When you look at the righteous that were there, the priests that were there, as righteous and as proper as they were, Zacchaeus here, is a, uh, he's just demonstrating what that righteousness is. This action in promising restitution really demonstrated the fact that he had placed his faith in Jesus as the Messiah. Here's the thing, as, Jesus, as Zacchaeus is now offering this, he is not just saved for, from something, he is saved for something, that's to serve. 
as he's doing this, the restitution that he's offering fourfold is this. He is actually, if you look at the Levitical law, Leviticus 6, Exodus 22 mentions this, that Zacchaeus actually gave the highest form of restitution. Uh, some says you just give a fifth above it. He actually gave fourfold, which is the highest amount given. So no matter what he has done, he's going above and beyond to make sure that everything was taken care of. His quick action for restitution, he does it quickly. Look at this. He's doing it in the present tense. He says, if I have taken, I restore him fourfold. That's in the present tense. He says here, his quick action for restitution came as his change from his view of wealth. You know, this is really opposed, and Luke is doing this on purpose. You look at the comparison of, of uh, a rich man of Zacchaeus, but think of other rich men in the book of Luke. You think of the rich man, the rich man Lazarus, that the rich man, that was his life, was to live richly and abundantly and withhold from those in need. We also see the rich young ruler who was miserly and wanted to keep it all to himself and not basically um, invested in the riches of God, invested in heaven. You see here, salvation, verse 9, has come to this house for as much as he also is a seed of, uh, son of Abraham. I think this is noteworthy to, that Jesus called him a son of Abraham. If there was anyone in Jericho that would have been called a son of Abraham, look to the priests, look to the Levites, look to the righteous that are there. Instead, he points here to this man, Zacchaeus, who was a publican, rich, an extortioner, and now is a life that is forever changed. As we see here, this is the point. Why does Jesus call him a son of Abraham? I believe it's this. Because as Abraham was justified by faith, even so Zacchaeus was justified by faith. This is the point of it. Here's the point. There is hope for all who humbly turn to God. There is hope for all who simply humbly turn to God as a little child who runs and climbs up a tree. Okay? All right. This is kind of the statement here now we have in verse 9. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This statement, to seek and to save the lost, is really the heart of a shepherd. It reminds us of actually uh, the parable of the lost sheep, who there was 90 and 9, and remember he goes out to, the shepherd goes out to find that one lost sheep, and when he does, there's rejoicing. In other words, Jesus is that shepherd who came to find that one lost sheep. Guess what? Here we have Zacchaeus, that one lost sheep that Jesus calls by name and brings back and he follows him. This is the gospel for the outcast, just like Zacchaeus. It's a gospel for you and me, that we are outcasts, that we are lost in our sins. We desperately need our shepherd. See, he saves those. Jesus saves those who cannot save themselves. I like what Dwight Pentecost wrote about this, that the priest had not come to acknowledge their sin and seek forgiveness. The wealthy traders in, Jer in Jericho had not come to acknowledge that they were sinners and seek his forgiveness. But Zacchaeus had come, and in response, his faith was forgiven. Praise God. Here's the point of this passage. What Jesus did for Zacchaeus, he can do for you if you simply trust in him. That's the point of this passage. What Jesus did for Zacchaeus, he can do for you and you and me and for the rest of this world. Praise God. The thing is this, when Jesus passes by, your life can be changed forever if we simply turn to him. Now, as we close this today, I want to talk about a couple comparisons that are, are there. Like I said, in Jericho, there were two main groups of people, the priests and the publicans, the tax collectors. It's interesting here that the crowds surrounded Jesus here that others couldn't be near him. They actually put him away, put Zacchaeus away. Kind of an interesting here. And to the shock of the crowd, Jesus doesn't call one of them. He calls Zacchaeus, that wee little man, to be near him. Then outcast he brings to him. 
It's interesting here that the crowd, they compare themselves to Zacchaeus. Remember in verse 8? This man's a sinner, which implies what? <laughs> we're not, okay? We're not sinners. That's the idea. He, they were self-righteous. They compare themselves to Zacchaeus. This is a reminder, again, of Luke chapter 18. Remember, this kind of flows in together. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, mentions a parable that Jesus spoke of a, uh, a Pharisee and a publican who prayed. And how does the Pharisee pray? God, I'm thankful that I'm not such a sinner, especially like this publican over here, this tax collector. And in comparison, what does the tax collector do, the publican? He cries out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This cry was really a cry of atonement, to be gracious. Because of my sins, God, be gracious to me because of the sacrifices offered. Here's the lesson that we can learn from that. It's, it's no coincidence that just a few verses before Zacchaeus is a, is a contrast between the Pharisee and a publican. Here's the lesson that we can learn. Only those who can come to God in authentic humility can expect God's favor. Again, we should come humbly before him. Therefore, Zacchaeus accepted Jesus' offer of righteousness, and so should we, when we understand our sin and our need of a Savior. This reminds me, the story of Zacchaeus reminds me of a man that I knew years ago, He's now passed away. It's a guy by the name of Ron Thompson. Ron uh, was in the Pine River area. He actually worked with my parents at the group home there. And um, Ron had a very interesting life. He actually was a, a college wrestler and just a big, strong guy. But he was also involved with the Spanish Mafia, okay? Uh, he was a rough and tumble guy. He would actually, uh, um, he would do all kinds of just bad things, put it that way. One thing that he did it was uh, he was kind of like the, the tax collector of the mob of his area. And he would actually, when people owed a debt, he would throw them in the trunk of his car and drive them around until they decided it's time to pay. He would do that. He was not a nice guy. Well, Ron ended up working with my parents for years. I remember him very well. And uh, anyways, he, he was just had a very rough background. Uh, one day, Ron found out that he had cancer. And uh, he was really shook up about it. And so he popped into the church, the little Pine River Baptist Church there. And he's sitting there near the back, and he taps my dad on the shoulder during the message. And I don't remember if it was Pastor Prophet who was pre- preaching or we had an evangelist, but Pastor Prophet was there during this time. And so he taps my dad on the shoulder and he says, I, I need help. Can you help me? Can you pray with me? I need to get saved. Ron Thompson that day went forward and gave his heart and life to Jesus. He was a lot like Zacchaeus. He was an extortioner, took advantage of people, a bully, if you will. And guess what? God changed his heart. He was faced with his own sinfulness And yes, because of the cancer, God used that in his life to convict him, to turn to him. He got saved and then had to do therapy and eventually ended up in Nevis, of all places. And uh, anyways, he was there doing that, ended up going to church there. And anyways, he passed away because of cancer eventually. But Ron Thompson was a man that when Jesus passed by, his life was changed. You might not have the story of Zacchaeus or of Ron Thompson for that matter, But every one of us are in desperate need of God's grace and his mercy. And when Jesus passes by, be looking for him. He is looking for you. He calls you by name and he beckons you to come and follow him, to trust him, to give your heart to him, and your life can be forever changed. So when Jesus passed by, a life is changed forever. Your life is changed forever. 
You know, according to some traditions, Zacchaeus continued to follow the Lord Jesus and later, according to some reports, became the bishop of the church in Caesarea. So Zacchaeus was a wee little man, but when he was saved, he became a spiritual giant in Jericho. Here's the thing. When Jesus passes by, his life was changed forever, and so can yours. And I ask you today, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you trusted him for the forgiveness of your sins? You say, well, I haven't, I'm not an extortioner. I, I try to treat people nicely and all that. The Bible says this, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Talk about literally someone who was short of the glory of God, the stature. Guess what? Every one of us have missed the mark. Every one of us have lied. We've stolen. We've broken God's laws. We've broken his commandments. And because of that, if you go to the day of judgment, says God says, why should I let you into my heaven? Well, I've been pretty good most of my life. Well, guess what? If you've broken law, you've broken law. If you, go, if you, if you get caught for speeding, get a traffic ticket, you go before the judge and, and say, well, you know, judge, I, I actually, uh, I, drive, I drive really safe. That was just the one, I was just off that one day. You know, just maybe overlook it this time. Guess what? You've done, you've done the crime. You have to pay the fine, okay? And so in looking at that, each and every one of us are guilty because of our sin. And each and every one of us deserve the penalty, which is death. That's the wages of sin, is death. But, there's a great but. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ came to this world, lived a perfect and sinless life, and he went to the cross for you and for me and for Zacchaeus and for Ron Thompson. Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again triumphant over sin and death, and he calls all to follow him. For whosoever call, shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Happened with these men. And I pray it's happened to you.